I got a confession to make here, a bit slightly embarrassing, um, because a, a few weeks ago when I realised that I was my preaching spot was coming up, I said to John, "What's the reading?" And he said, "Oh, it's Luke, Luke two, the Christmas bit, you know, at the start." And I said, and I sort of groaned, and, oh, because I reckon I've preached on this reading must be twenty times in my my preaching career, and uh, and plus I've heard it preached on so many times I, I've lost count of. And I thought, well, you know, couldn't you give me something a bit more interesting? And um, John suitably put me in my place by saying, what? This is the greatest event that ever happened in the history of the world, and you're complaining about preaching on it. Um, <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> anyway. Well, it brought on the cross, yeah. didn't it? Um, so, but, but anyway, here we are, and... Uh, I'm preaching on it yet again, but how can we still be amazed? This is the question, isn't it? How can we still be amazed at this event that happened a couple of thousand years ago? Um, because there's certainly nothing like it has ever happened before, and nothing ever like it has ever happened since. Um, you know, a, a virgin birth. The, the sceptics and, and those who, who hate Christianity, this, this is the doctrine they love to attack, isn't it? It's that and, that and the resurrection, uh, but probably the virgin birth even more. Uh, and the usual sort of explanation given is, well, you know, Mary got, got pregnant and she had to come up with a, an excuse because it wasn't very acceptable. And, and so she, uh, she just said, well, uh, God did it. And, uh, but when you, when you think about it, how, who would come up with an excuse like that? I mean, has anybody ever, apart from Mary, come up with that excuse? I mean, it's kind of like, you know, if you're a thief who's just knocked over the, the Louvre in Paris and, and is walking down the street with a, with a sack over his shoulder and the police arrest him and he's got the Mona Lisa in his sack. And, and they say, well, how'd you get that then? And Well, you know, it just sort of magically appeared there. I don't know. I mean, it's on that sort of level, isn't it? That's, it's that sort of excuse. It's just no one's going to believe it. And, and in a way, saying, well, I'm pregnant and God did it, uh, you know, in some ways, we shouldn't believe it either. Except for one thing. Except that we have, in the rest of Luke's Gospel, the account of Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection. And then we have Matthew, Mark and John as well, and plus Paul and, and Peter and James and their writings, which which back up so much of what the Gospels say. But when we, when we read about Jesus' life, we see his, uh, the healings. I mean, just, I just think pick to pick one, the man born blind in John's Gospel, and, and he himself said, no one since the creation of the world has ever heard of a man born blind being healed. And yet there it was. And Lazarus raised from the dead. Uh, uh, people being fed where there was no fo almost no food, fish suddenly appearing where there were no fish, a storm being stilled, and of course most of all, his resurrection from the dead after being crucified. When we when we know all that stuff, then suddenly the virgin birth just fits in. It's it just makes sense. So yeah, here we are with this account in Luke, which to me really is a, it's a mixture of, of the extraordinary and the very ordinary. 
Um, you, you know, I guess we could think, well, God, if he wanted the Messiah to come... Uh, I mean, uh, Mark's Gospel and John's Gospel don't mention anything about this part of Jesus' life, and they kind of... Jesus just appears fully there. Um, but, you know, what would God do if it was us designing it? You know, probably huge bang in the sky and light everywhere and suddenly this golden shining man appeared or something like but this is just ordinary men and women and 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 the the ordinariness of birth you know i, I was blessed and uh, enough to to watch all of my five children being born and it's just the most amazing thing and, and it, but it's a bit grubby and you know there's it's not not particularly pleasant for women i acknowledge that um <laughs> but but, uh, you know, this, this is what happened here. This is how the Messiah came into the world, that same process. It's just an ordinary town like Bethlehem. I mean, you know, it's famous now, but in those days it was, it was like if we said, uh, well, the Messiah was born in, in Middleton or Karamolka or something. You know, how, how, many people, how many people know? What percentage of the world's population know about that Middleton even exists? It's probably you know, well under 1%. And it would have been the same with Bethlehem. It was just, just an ordinary town with ordinary people. But anyway, let's have a look at the, the reading. Gaius, Caesar, Octavianus, Augustus, he was emperor from 29 BC to AD 14. AD, I mean, just AD, Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. That's what the whole of history revolves around. Anyway, he decides to have a census or a registration. Um, this, the ESV says all the world, but the NIV says all the Roman world, which is almost certainly what it, what is meant. And the reason for the, the, the registration was um, one that still exists now, is so you would pay your tax. This is so that the Roman government would know you exist and you could pay your tax. And the other reason was that the, so that all the males could be called up for military service. However, the, the Jews had a special arrangement and they were exempt from that, but they still had to pay their tax. So here we are in, in Bethlehem. Now, what a, lovely, what a lovely working of God's sovereignty. Here we have Caesar Augustus, the sort of Donald Trump of his day, the most powerful man in the, in the world, only more so, who can decide pretty much anything he likes, but God in his sovereignty, who, who makes Caesar Augustus look like nothing, he moves his will, Augustus decides to have a census, Joseph and Mary, who are of the line of David, go to their hometown, Bethlehem, while they're there, not they didn't go there because it was a nice place to have a baby. They went there to, because the census required it. But while they're there, Mary goes into labour and the Messiah is born. That is all God's sovereignty happening. Because the prophet Micah, what, five or six hundred years before, had said the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. And so it happened. Um, it, was a, it was a sign in uh, Isaiah chapter 7, uh, where Isaiah 
prophesies that a virgin will conceive and bear a son and will call, and call his name Emmanuel. Now that was a time when, when that prophecy was made was a time when Jerusalem was in great danger. Uh, they were surrounded by armies of, uh, of Assyria and, uh, and Assyria had made a, a, a pact with, with, uh, with, with Judah's brothers uh, of Israel and they, were going to, they decided to get together and destroy Jerusalem and, uh, and kick the Jews out. But Isaiah came to Ahaz, who was the king at the time, and says, don't worry, it's not going to happen. They see those armies out there, they'll all disappear. And King Ahaz, understandably, looked at the armies and thought, well, don't know about that. Uh, give me a sign. Uh, no, he said, no, actually, he said, Isaiah said to him, well, if you don't believe it, ask God for a sign. He'll prove it to you. And Ahaz said, Ahaz pretended at this stage to be really godly and holy and said, no, no, I'm not going to put the Lord God to the test. <laughs> You know, Ahaz is the guy who was a, a rampant idolater who even sacrificed one of his own sons to, uh, to the, god, the false god Molech. Um, but at this stage he pretended to be holy and said, I'm not going to ask for a sign. So Isaiah said to him, well, in that case, God will give you a sign. And that's where this prophecy about the virgin conceiving and bearing the son Messiah. Now, presumably it had some meaning for the time, but like so many prophecies, it had a meaning for that time and then it fulfilled, perfectly fulfilled in Jesus. So King Ahaz had this sign imposed on him. It was kind of just, you know, you don't want one, but here it is. And it, um, it's interesting because the, the, the birth of the Messiah was a sign in itself, but there's, there's all, these, all these signs around this that are associated with this reading today, like, like Zechariah. Uh, John the Baptist's father, you know, he, he, more, he sort of kind of in a roundabout way asked for a sign. He said, well, how do I know this is going to happen? And he got a sign he didn't really want because uh, he, he couldn't speak. That was, that was his sign. But, uh, you know, all these things just all sort of swirl around and, and show God's great sovereignty over all these events. They all, by themselves, they all just seem like ordinary events, but, but God is working to, to work out his purposes in the world, and his purposes is, are to save us and to bring glory to himself. So God is totally in control. Um, his will is done whether we approve of it or not. And so Jesus, the Messiah, is born in a manger. Uh, placed in a manger, in, in a feed trough. Uh, you know, there's no mention of stables or anything here, but that, we assume that it was a, some sort of animal place because it had a, a feed trough in it. And then angels appear to these shepherds. Uh, you know, much is made of the fact that the shepherds were, were pretty low down, uh, lowly sort of people. They, were, they certainly weren't high up in society. Well, they, they, they were certainly were lowly, but they were also God-fearing, uh, these particular shepherds. If you, if you look at, at verse 20, there, the, when, they, when the shepherds returned, they were glorifying and praising God for all they'd heard and seen. So, so they, you know, they were godly men. They weren't, they weren't rampant um, atheists or something. Uh, so God's appeared to them. Uh, you know, why, why shepherds? Why lowly men? 
Why not? Once again, why not something amazing? Uh, I mean, later on, uh, when Jesus was older, the, we have the, the, the three wise men coming who were perhaps a little bit more in the mould, although they were, they were foreigners. They weren't Jewish kings. Um, so why just these ordinary, lowly shepherds? Um, you know, this, this, this was the town of, of David where they were, and, and it's interesting to think that only a thousand years before, David himself had been out probably on those same hills looking after his sheep. Um, but he, he, he was nothing at that stage but he became something this is all part of Jesus emptying himself in Philippians 2 it says he emptied himself and became nothing and so here we have these lowly shepherds coming to greet the greatest man that's ever lived but when the, when the angel appeared to uh, speak to them, they were afraid. Well, why? Well, because everyone is in the presence of God or his messengers. It's like, like when Isaiah had his vision of, of heaven and he thought he was going to die because he said, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live amongst a man, people of unclean lips. Everyone universally throughout the Bible when they are in the presence of God or his messengers, they are afraid. The, the, the least one is Mary. Mary was just troubled. That, that's the least one I could find. Everyone else is afraid. They think their last moment has come. Why? Because they think that they're about to be judged. They're a sinner in the presence of a holy God. And one day, we are, we're going to be in the same position of standing in the presence of the holy God. Will we be afraid? Probably. But we will also be confident in the knowledge that Jesus died for us. That is our defence and it is a sure and solid defence. So the angel says, but fear not. I mean, like us, the shepherds expect judgement, but they get mercy. All those... People, Moses, Isaiah, even, even the great Daniel, the man of great faith, when he, when he met with the angel Gabriel, he fell down as if dead. But it's not judgment, it's fear not. For under you is born a Saviour who is Christ the Lord. Interesting statement that, he is Christ the Lord. So he is Messiah and he is Lord. Uh, it's a, it's a two words that were repeated by Peter on on the, uh, in his speech on the day of Pentecost. He said, this, this Saviour who you crucified is both Saviour and Lord. And, the, and Lord is the, is the same Greek word that it, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament is used for Yahweh. So the angel says, glory to God in the highest and on peace on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. That's what, that's what the ESV says. The old King James said, peace on earth and goodwill towards men, which really, uh, according to Leon Morris, is not a good translation. Um, the NIV says, peace to those on whom his favour rests, which Leon says is the preferred translation. We are those on whom God's favour rests. 
This is what he's showing. So the angels are told, go into Bethlehem and there you'll find a baby. And the way you'll know is because he's wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. How many babies would there have been born in Bethlehem around that time? Probably two, three maybe? I don't know. But only one lying in a trough. So they went there and found the baby. And they tell Mary and Joseph, well, we've been told this boy is the Messiah. And, and Mary wondered about these things. I would imagine people's reaction to a baby being the future king of not only of Israel but of the whole world, people's reaction would be different. Um, but we are told that Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. It would take a bit of getting used to, wouldn't it? You know, I'm just trying to, trying to put myself in Mary's place to have a, this baby. You know, like we just had, I was just holding Charlie. Well, I mean, much smaller than that, though. And he's going to be the Messiah. It would just take a lot to get your head around it, wouldn't it? But she pondered them in her heart. The only other reference I can find in the Bible to, to that sort of thought was when Joseph uh, had, a, had his dream and he went and told his brother and his fathers about it, remember? And they all said, what? Don't be ridiculous. You, us bowing down to you, that's, uh, you know, that kind of, I reckon, reckon probably there was some of that sort of reaction to, to what they were told about Jesus. But interestingly, Jacob, it's also uses very similar words that he also pondered this in, one, in his heart and wondered what it meant. Similar sort of thing. So Mary pondered these things in her heart, but then, and later on, when he was presented at the temple and the, the old man, well, we assume he was old, we're not actually told, but the man Simeon told Mary that a sword will pierce your own soul as well. And another thing for her to ponder. Okay. So I think because this is so familiar to us and we know it so well, we're in danger of overlooking this part of the gospel just because of its familiarity. Uh, you know, the world is dumbing down Christmas as much as it can. The, Shelley and I, Shelley showed me an ad, an ad that we saw the other day for a, a nativity set that, that didn't even have a baby. That's you know? <laughs> kind, of, kind of the way the world's going. Um, when I look around this church, I, I see that most of us are not young. Um, you know, I mean, by young I mean less than 50. Um, most of us are over that and, and even for those who aren't there's no guarantees so uh, can I just leave you with the idea that we need to ponder these things in our hearts um, because pretty soon not that far away we're going to be finding out the truth of it and we're going to be depending on it we're going to be like a, a ship that's being shipwrecked on rocks and there's no one can help us. 
until we sail into that quiet and serene harbour. Tie up our ship to the, to the rock that cannot be moved and he will rescue it.